Driven Society Podcast. This is Franz Bowen. This is Trav Weeks. Yes, sir. And with another installment of the Driven Society Podcast. And uh, we're blessed to be here in 2020. First episode of the new uh, millennium. Bless up. Or decade, rather. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Decade. No. Millennium started like 20 years ago. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, we have a really fly guest in the building today. Somebody that um, I'm super excited to you know, have the opportunity to, to speak to on this platform. And I know that, you know, the the audience is going to be thrilled and learn so much from this conversation. So, you know, without further ado, we have the head of cultural partnerships and head of North American shows and editorial at Spotify, Mr. Xavier Jernigan. What up, y'all? What up? What up? Man, honored to be here, man. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Sure, it's, a, it's a blessing, man. It's a blessing to be with some brothers, talk to some brothers, man. And then I just, my prayer is that anything that I that I say could be useful in any kind of way, it's not me, it's God, man. Absolutely. So this, sure. I'm honored to be here, y'all. So let's, let's talk about whatever y'all want to talk about. Yeah. Anything I have that's been a part of my journey, man, that you, I'm happy to share it. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, let's, let's start from the very beginning, you know, um, let us know, you know, where you're from, where you hail from, yeah. um, and you know, kind of give us a, a a broad stroke of how you arrived to this, um, you know, illustrious. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, your, li- your LinkedIn profile. I was like, damn, like I, I got a step much. And jumping in anywhere, yeah, like you guys are in charge, y'all, y'all just, y'all just steer me, and I'm, I'll go, and y'all yeah. just steer. For sure. Yes, so, sir. so going back, I'm born and raised in Daytona Beach, Florida. Mm. Thousand miles exactly, almost south of New York City, mm. and we talking about bringing it back to the beginning. I can tell you one of the first things that God told me is at three years old. He told me two things, and the way God speaks to me, mm. mainly, several ways, but mainly, God will plant a very clear thought in my mind mm. that I know didn't come from me. Mm. It's not not an audible voice. It'll just be a thought, will just appear to me almost as an epiphany. Why I know it's truth, right, right. And, and I know it's supposed to happen, but I right, have a right. part to play. The very mm. is, is two that I remember. That's interesting. Yeah, already. Damn, yeah. I ain't expect to jump in so fast. Oh, <laughs> because you know it's crazy. I'll be having the same feeling. But when did you come to the wisdom to be aware that that's not that? This is something I gotta pay attention. You know what's funny, man? Because it happened so early to me, mm. it just felt normal. Mm. And I'll tell you the first one, and, it, and this may sound weird to people, but I'm, you know, I gotta speak my truth, and this is Please. this is truly my story. Please. The very first thought God gave me, I'm telling you, this is at three years old. God was like, "You're cool. So the stuff you like is cool, and you're different. But because you're cool, when you like different stuff, that's cool too because you like it. Mm-hmm. So be you, no matter what, and always. You know. And I just knew." I knew at that point, like, and I, I was just extremely comfortable with mm. myself at that point. I'm not saying I didn't go through periods of insecurities like anybody, you know, mm-hmm. going through adolescence, right. you know, and coming up. But that's one of the first self-actualizations and self-affirmations that I knew about myself. And the second one was more instructional in terms of like something I needed to follow through on. And God told me like. I'm gonna live in New York City. Mm. You're gonna go to New York City and you're gonna make it. So I always knew I was supposed to live here and be mm. here. So another way to put it is, I didn't realize this at the time, right. I realize it now that that was a call. Well, God called me to be a New Yorker. God called me to be 
in New York that most of my purpose and his plan for me would play out here. And I knew, like, I didn't know what all that meant at the time. I just knew, though. So whenever I would watch movies, like, that were about New York City, yep. and, like, you know, growing up in the 80s, so movies like Wall Street, movies like The Secret of My Success with Michael J. Fox, mm. Muppets Take Manhattan, like, <laughs> all these movies about, like, going to New York and making it, yep. they always spoke to me. I'm talking about as a little kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I was always drawn yeah. to these movies. So those were one of my earlier like thoughts when we were talking about going back to the beginning. And it's always being drawn to the culture, the culture of hip hop. Like sure. I was born in hip hop. Yep. You know what I mean? Like and this is this is from a kid in Daytona Beach, Florida. Like we liked everything from all regions. You yeah. know what I mean? I like lyricism, I like the beats. So I generally like went towards like drifted towards New York hip hop. Mm-hmm. Because it was just a lot of focus on on the lyricism. Right. So like that also gave me that other like New York feeling, you know what I mean? Like that New York was like going to be like a part of who I am mm-hmm. and where I'm going. That's so interesting. Time. I don't think I've ever heard the sentence God told call me to be a New Yorker. <laughs> I've never heard that. that actually, <laughs> that's a bar. Yo, I just put that yeah, on the yeah, show. Yeah, you're, you're Tough one. Up. God told me to be a New Yorker. Yeah. You know, you know, one thing I said I am going to put on a shirt one day, Brooklyn by choice. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, cause it's one thing to just be from somewhere, yeah. And it's you know, but you have no say in that. Mm-hmm. You just wake up and then one day somebody tell you where you are. Good point. You have no say in that. Yeah, for sure. But to choose to live somewhere, yeah, that's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That's a whole different, different level. Absolutely. Like to come here, you ain't got, you don't have family here. I didn't have family here. Yeah. I do now. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I had like, cause this city embraced me. Yeah, from the time I, I'm from the time I got here, man, the city embraced me. The city knew I was supposed to be here. Mm, the people knew I was supposed to be here, man. Yeah. So it's it's just amazing how like tying back to that calling about God called me to be a New Yorker. Like I feel like the city was ready for me to get here. 100%. You know what I mean? And it was just I mean really love from day one, mm-hmm. love from day one, and now I'm on my 19th year. Wow. You know, so this is home. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like. It's just crazy how, how these things go and God sure. planting these seeds yep. in you. You're not fully understanding them, exactly. but you know it's going to come together along, you know, along the way. And I love that because it's like um, you got to be able to be aware for when God does plant these seeds to make a move. Mm-hmm. And That's right. You got to be aware when God also tells you when to say no to something as well, too. That's a huge part of my story mm-hmm. about what to say no to. Like, what you say no to is just as important as your yeses. Yep, sure. You know what I mean? Because, and even doors closed. Yep, yep. We were talking about before we started recording, like, a friend of yours got laid off. Yeah. And that's going to direct her path. Yep. I was laid off before. You know what I mean? These things direct your path. So, so sometimes God pulls you out of situations, mm-hmm. you know, out of jobs, out of relationships, you know, out of dangerous situations, whether you even knew it was dangerous or not. Mm-hmm. Like, the no's are just important as the yeses, the not right nows, that the not evers. Right. Like all of that's important to steer you in this way. Cause so when I look back and think about like sometimes I'll every now and then when I go to like update my LinkedIn, it's funny I have this and this has served me really well, I have this ability to kind of detach myself from things that I've done. So when I see it, it's like, yo, that's kinda cool. <laughs> so so every now and then like I I mean this is probably like once or twice a year. Right. I can see my LinkedIn 
as like not it being me. Mm. And I'm like, damn, that's 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 pretty dope yeah. that I've been able to yeah, do this. Yeah. You know, like all with God's help and you know Him ordaining all these steps, man. But it's it's really cool to like look back and see that, especially because it all goes back to like three years old, mm. Daytona Beach, wow. loved hip hop, was interested in marketing, mm-hmm. like. I would look at commercials and be like, good commercials, and be like, how did they know I would find that funny? Right. You know what I mean? A black kid in Daytona Beach, like I grew up, you know, in yeah. the sun, in beach, and somebody somewhere mm-hmm. somehow knew I would think this commercial is funny or interesting and it ties to a product, and then I remember the product, yeah. and then that makes me want to choose that product over another product. Yeah, yeah. So all of these things, like how all that came comes together to be right here with you bro- brothers right here and right now. Like I think about all of that stuff all the time. It's mind-blowing. That's heavy. But God can't give you all that up front. Nah. Because what? <laughs> like I'm supposed to yeah. execute on that and move, you know, and move in that. Exactly. God gave me at the time, you're cool, you're different, what you like is cool and it's different. So Just follow your, uh, follow your path exactly. and you're going to end up in New York. That's what I knew at that. That stage. Real quick, did you did you grow up with both parents in the house? So I started out. So my story, I'm gonna I'm gonna say some stuff on on podcasts that I haven't said anywhere else recorded. Bless so these these are this hasn't been recorded anywhere else. Cool. Bless so so my story is very interesting. So grew up with both parents in a house until I was nine. Hmm. My father was abusive to my mother. Hmm. So she got the strength to leave you know, after several attempts. Mm-hmm. So my father, who I refer to as my dad, he actually met my mom when she was pregnant with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a product of a short-lived relationship she had after my brother. My brother's 13 months older than me. Mm-hmm. So that was like a high school sweetheart that didn't work out. So my mom had my brother at 18 and I came at 19. She was a freshman at Bethune-Cookman. Mm-hmm. And then, but she, she grinded it out, had a kid, Less than two months before class was started, and still went to class. Wow. Right? So, you know, that's, and I'm going to say bad enough in a sense, this is air quotes, y'all, for, for those listening. Like, bad enough to some people, like, have, you know, having a kid right before you start, mm-hmm. like, in college, and then here I come the next year. Mm-hmm. So she's pregnant with me, single because it was a short lived relationship. She's walking, like, home from classes. My dad, who I was referring to as my dad, he's on a garbage truck route. He sees her, I guess she wasn't showing, and he's hollering at her from the truck, and she ain't paying him any attention, and eventually, like, <laughs> like, let him take her out, and then that's who's my dad, and that's mm-hmm. who was in a two-parent household. So he took me in as his own, his name's on my birth certificate. Mm-hmm. I only met my biological father probably when I was five or six, they thought it was time for me to go meet him. Mm-hmm. And then I saw him again another time when I was early teen, mm-hmm. like just standing on the corner of this like infamous corner where a lot of drug dealers and crackheads hung out this corner store we went to called Quick and Easy, me and my mm-hmm. boy Kenny. Quick. And then he was just he was just there like, and he was like, yo, trying to introduce me to something. I'm like, I don't even know this dude. So to me, he was always like a stranger. Yeah. But I never felt like the lack of a, like a man's love because mm-hmm. my dad was very, loving towards me, right. you know, and always treated me as his own. And I had that from the time I was born mm. through the time they split up, but he was still involved gotcha. for a bit after that. And then this is the thing too about like being at peace with things. Like my biological father died when I was a sophomore in high school. Right. So 
So that's that's my story. So the two parents in the household, I learned like a lot of like man stuff, if you will. Yeah. Like from my dad who passed away in 2012. Mm -hmm. But I learned a lot of things from him. So and my mom would say even after like she left him, like she was like, yo, he was a terrible husband, but he was a good father. Mm-hmm. And he like really like taught us stuff and just like he had no problem saying I love you and being affectionate, wow. you know. So it's that whole dichotomy of like, yep. like how can he like yep. be abusive to her like yeah. verbally and physically? Yeah. He never hit her in front of us, but we could hear it. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, and a lot of nights ended up with her barricading herself in me and my brother's rooms. We had bunk beds, wow. and like you'd hear it, and you know, we're terrified. Yeah. We can't, too young to do anything about it. Yeah. So we're terrified in our beds, like, hey, you know, just me and my brother trying to comfort each other. Right. And then it would end with her barricading herself against the door, like, and putting a pillow there and sleeping there so her weight, so he can't come in and get her. Wow. wow. Yeah, man. So I saw I saw some crazy stuff, heard some crazy stuff wow. growing up. But I got everything that I needed somehow, somehow, hmm. some way. And then my uncles, too. So my mom's from Alabama. She's from, she was born and raised on a farm. Union Springs, Alabama, mm-hmm. which is about 45 minutes outside of Montgomery, Alabama. So me and my brother spent summers there. So this is literally chickens, cows, pasture, baling hay. So that's me getting wow. dropped off there in the summer with our cousins and our uncles. Mm-hmm. My mom's like the youngest of 10. Mm-hmm. So so we had that uncle wow. love. So we got a lot of examples through that. And then like basketball coaches, me and my brother, heavily into sports. So mm-hmm. I was able to get that balance too and then also the balance on the other end of like women being in charge yeah. like mm-hmm. the next year our basketball coach couldn't like just because his work schedule couldn't hold things down the way he did the previous season so his I think sister-in-law or a cousin or something stepped in and she was the head coach wow. so that was like rare like yeah, having yeah. a woman lead a coach of, of boys yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean at that age so I got a really interesting like mix of like life experiences really early interesting you know what's good when you have an experience like that you, you really see the value of a powerful woman absolutely you know what i mean absolutely. even to now my life right now i think i was saying the other day like i i intentionally designed my life where it's like i have um powerful women around me yes. people who have that aura people Same. who are like bosses and that's right and whatnot you know what i'm saying and like I, that's by design because that pushes me to excel that's right and it's like i don't know it's, it's they just special. You know? Same. And it's the same way around me. Like, I have a lot of, like, very, very close women friends yep, in my too. life. Like, like, very close, like, with their family Yeah. at this point. Yep. And it's just funny, like, the roles, like, we, like, feel for each other. So yep. even from them, like, you know, not as their boyfriend, but like, hey, you need me to put up some curtain rods. I'm coming through. Yeah. And as I got the drill, I know how to do all of that, so I'll come through and I got you. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Your moms needs help? Cool. What she need me to do? Need me to put this AC in the window? Yep. Cool, I'm coming through to hold that down. Yeah. So it's cool how all of that yeah. works, and it's really a village For sure. that we all like, all pull together. Absolutely. So my so my upbringing and my home life was different in that sense. You know, having the two parents and two incomes to to me being nine years old and my brother being yeah. ten. But then going from when she got the courage to leave, and me and my brother understood it. We weren't sad about. We knew it would be. It was weird. Mm. You know what I mean? But we weren't sad about leaving in that sense because we knew it was like the best thing for her yeah and we knew early on that it was the best thing for us too because like you don't know how that's going to affect you negatively so with me and my brother it affected us like we we don't play that 
Yeah. We're raising hands to a woman and talking mm-hmm. about fighting the girl, you know what I mean, yeah, and all that. Yeah, so yeah. we don't we don't play play yeah. with that. So we went from a two parent income with two boys to a one parent income mm. with two boys. Mm. So life looked a little different. Yeah. After that, you know what I mean. We were in the same house from the time me and my brother were born up until that point, mm. and lived in an apartment for a little bit and in the house, and we never had rats in the house with this house. When she rented at the time, it like had rats in it, so we were there for like nine months until she was able to get us out yeah. and get us to another house. You know what I mean? And like, she just did what she had to do. Oh, God bless mom. Quick question. Yeah, God you, bless you, mom. There's there's another theme in, in your story that I want to um, you know talk about a little bit. Yeah. You know, you always uh, talk about God and yeah. you're very open about your faith. What was the? How did that? you know, play in the in your early grounding as an individual? Because to be three years old and to say to have that, like, first of all, that identity, yeah. you know, and that wherewithal to, like, of self, right? Yeah. That's something that people usually don't never <laughs> right. graduate That's to, true. you know? That's but true. then also to have, you know, knowing that yourself is an extension of this greater thing. So what, right. what, what did that uh, play in your life? I would say, so... In that adolescence years, like when we were still in the house with my dad, those years it was this woman who wasn't my actual aunt, but Aunt Osie is what we call her. She family. would pick, yeah, she would pick me and my brother up and take us to church. My mom really wasn't doing church at the time, but she was a believer. She would listen to gospel, like Sundays gospel, yep. AM radio was on. I was gonna say from the time we woke up, but that's what woke us up yeah. on Sunday morning, right? Yeah. And then she would pick us up. We'd go to church, and it was like those little small. All day churches, man, fire and brimstone, you got to dress up. So it wasn't an enjoyable experience at all, mm-hmm. but I did get an understanding of who God was. Mm-hmm. But, like, the experience of going was not enjoyable at all. Mm-hmm. And I always thought it was funny. It was noticeable. It was like, my mom and dad don't even come. Like, y'all like y'all go. Yeah. But it did help us to get some grounding in faith. Mm-hmm. When my parents split up, my mom ended up going to the church of her sister, my Aunt Helen. God mm-hmm. rest her soul. So this is in Daytona. So we went to a big church at this point. A couple of in- interesting things about this church. One, it was a bigger church, like like actual big church downtown. Two, it was predominantly white. Mm. I had never went to church with like mainly white people. Yeah. Three, they worship different. They do. Yeah. It's, it's more reserved. It's, interesting. <laughs> it's more reserved. And you get out early. You know, they don't be in church all day. <laughs> they have me we're we're out 15. Out. Now the service is I mean over in an hour and fifteen. So I'm like, okay, I can rock with this. Uh, the other thing, it was really come as you are. So it was a lot of students, it was a lot of a lot of younger mm-hmm. people our age, mm-hmm. they got on jeans. So when we first started going, we got suit, you know, our little Easter suit on, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, our hard bottoms. I know that life. You know that life. Mm-hmm. And we see other kids, all the other kids, and they got on jeans and sneakers. So I say all this to say, this church, First Baptist Church of Daytona Beach, it helped me redefine what Christianity looks like or coming before God. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, okay, now I see it's really, it's less about all that other stuff and more about a relationship. Mm-hmm. And then that gave me like clarity on things that happened when I was younger. Like, okay, that was God telling that idea in my mind. That was God talking to me. Mm-hmm. And it just makes things like that clearer. So that's the first time I would actually invite friends to church because the way it was set up, it was Sunday school after church, and it was done by grade. Mm. So if you're in seventh grade, you just go to seventh grade, and it was like boys had their own and the girls had their own. Right. 
And I was comfortable with, like inviting my homies. So it was like, you know, cats from the hood up in there. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was cool though, because when we would go to Sunday school, it was just talking about God in your everyday life. Like we'll, we'll do a scripture, we'll talk about a scripture, but it was really about life application. Yeah. How do you apply this to your daily life? Okay, I can rock with that. Because it's not this whole completely separate thing yep. that you do on Sundays, then you lay it down, and then you just do you for the other six days of the week. Yeah, yep. You know what I mean? And then you go back to this thing, and then, then the cycle repeats itself. It's like it, it was integrated with my life. Yeah. So going to First Baptist Church in the, downtown Daytona Beach like completely radicalized the way I looked at a relationship with God and having a relationship with God. Mm -hmm. So I prayed differently. I didn't, I, I did not not talk about God around people because it was like, this is a part of me. And I was very comfortable with it. And then that helped me like when I would read scripture, like to start seeing myself in it. Mm. You know what I mean? And then that feeling so foreign to me. So to this day when I read it, I, it like, it just feels more normal. So versions is important. Like the King James, that's, that's the language yeah, that the King James used back then. So even when you're in the church now, and somebody's praying, and like, especially like when they're on the mic, and they're yeah. like, or the pulpit, like, thee, thou, thou, it's just like, why are you, that, that don't yeah. make you any closer to God, that's okay. just the language yeah. that, that that Bible was translated in sure. for, that was the language right. of the day. So like, I try to use Bibles that, no, I don't try to, I use Bibles that are more in everyday English now. Like, you gonna use the uh, new Brooklyn version? Right, the new Brooklyn, you, know we got right and the Lord said, who all in here? Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? But, so, um, um, I'm sorry, but- No, 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 Um, but yeah, cause I actually, you, um, I actually wanted to circle back on a point you made. Yeah, please. Um, when you talked about how when you saw that commercial, mm. because what you represent in culture, as far as um, the tech and the business side of yeah. things, um, is this industry that derives from hip hop, Yeah, right? I think it's interesting. I also think it's not talked about enough. I agree. Because yes, there are these tech companies, yes, there's these uh, creative different type of companies, mm -hmm. agencies, marketing or whatnot. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's enough research for people to talk about how much of the essence of this is hip hop based and hip hop rooted. It's like it's like that doesn't want to be acknowledged. And it's like today's slang is always like there's always every every slang term is from us. Yeah. Every phrase mm -hmm. is rooted in us. But it's like they don't want to give us that credit. Yeah. Right? But you spell hip hop B L A C K. There you go. I mean, really. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And it's, it is so interesting how that's done, but I just, it's like everybody knows it, mm -hmm. but no one wants to just come out and say it. That's my question. Did you know, because when you saw that commercial or whatnot, you was like, hmm, da da da. Did you know that your work that you put out would be part of the culture? Because back in the 70s, 80s, hip hop right. was still kind of like a little baby. Oh, absolutely. Baby. On the fringes, yeah. Absolutely. Exactly, right? So did yeah. you know that there will be these industries that will be completely Man. influenced by this culture? No. And when did you first get the, what was the first position you got that made you feel like, okay, the culture is so, contributed so much to your work, your yeah. style of work, yeah. and the level of where you're going in the future? That's a great question. So, so my first job, so I went to FAMU, Florida A&M University, I did a five-year MBA. Mm -hmm. And because I was like attracted to those 
commercials, I did, I did marketing. So I did a marketing concentration. And at FAM, in our five-year MBA program, you have to do three internships, like as a part, like a graduation requirement, curriculum requirement. So you do two undergrad and then a graduate one. So the way I went about it, and it's just, just to kind of weave in the story to, to answer your question, mm -hmm. the way I went about it is I knew I was gonna work in entertainment. I knew that's where I was headed. Okay. But I was like, let me get textbook marketing Smart. under my belt, and then I can apply that to any facet of entertainment, any facet of business that I go into later. And that was when it was just so clear to me. And it's funny, like now, when I talk about it, it's really cool because it's kind of like I said, how those thoughts were planted in my mind by God at three years old. That's how all my best ideas come from God. The bad ones, me. Those are me. All the good ones, is good. They God, and they just make sense to me. And that just always makes sense to me. Just learn marketing, get that under my belt, then I'm gonna take that, and then I'm gonna go into entertainment with that. Yeah. And then I can be the expert, and, that, and then take and run with it, because I have a foundation to build smart, upon. Smart, smart. Right? Diddy actually said that on the shot. I don't know if you guys watched the late, well, the, the version of the shot, LeBron show, with yeah. Diddy was on it. Yeah, I, I didn't see the Diddy one. Yeah, but he said that, because they were talking about, like, because Rich Paul was on there, amazing entrepreneur, yeah. and they had like a little, um, so not a not a conflict, but slight disagreement. Mm -hmm. And Rich Paul was saying like, "Yo, you don't need the college. You don't need that level of education to go out and be an entrepreneur and understand culture and marketing. You can go out and kill it without any of that stuff. You need hands-on job training. There's definitely some truth there. Mm -hmm. But what Diddy was saying was like, we actually still need that level of education right. to play on that field. I because completely agree. Who Diddy hired, you know, Dia Sims, who's amazing, who he yeah. hired to run Combs Enterprises. Yeah. She's fucking phenomenal. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? She was on point, yeah. educated. And I, I, I felt like I understood what Diddy was trying to say. Like, yes, you can be an entrepreneur. You can learn the game and you can have hands-on training and kill him. But once you, if you can get your, which I will recommend to anybody listening to the podcast, if you're young and you out here trying to get anyone to get into the space, if you can level up your education to the level of our counterparts that don't look like us. That's right. You already got the sauce. That's right. And you can apply that. So that, that was part of my thinking too, was like get these internships under my belt at the top companies in the world. Smart. And who can deny me? Wow. I have my MBA, and then I have Coke under my belt. I have Procter & Gamble under my belt. Mm. How can you deny me? Amazing. You know what I mean? And then we'll get to the other part of the story that it connects to Puff too, and. Wow. Even his point of view about that, yeah. I'm going to credit right now and say I helped him with that. Wow. And, I, and, I, and, I'll and I'll tell you, I'll tell you how, and I'll tell you why. I wish I learned that when I was younger. That, so, going back to your question mm -hmm. about did we know hip hop would influence that? So I did those internships. I did my approach to internships was intern across different industries. So you know the nose. Going back to that, the other part of that is like knowing what you don't like and learning what you don't like mm. is as important as learning what you do like. Mm. So I was like, let me intern and do different marketing internships in different industries. For example, my first one was Edward Jones Investments in St. Louis, Missouri. Hmm. So that's financial services marketing. Nah, mm. not for me. Mm. But I got to work in that kind of a company yeah. and get the feel of that kind of marketing. And just the experience, of course, of being in the building, going to and from work every day, like getting paid, me living in a part of the country I had never been in. Yeah. Like, that's when I took my first flight. Because for me, everything was a road trip at that point, or buses, you know, cars, buses, or trains. Yep. So that was my first flight that summer, getting flown out, living in an apartment they put me up in and paid for the apartment and all mm -hmm. that stuff. 
So I knew financial services marketing wasn't for me, but I learned a lot mm. from that. And I knew that that didn't work for me. Mm. The next summer I did NCR Corporation. NCR is National Cash Register. It, most ATMs you go to or if you're at a grocery store, they probably have the three letters on the NCR. Mm. You probably make your ATMs and your cash mm. register. Okay, yeah. Right? So they're, they're now based in Atlanta. They were based in Dayton, Ohio at that time. They just since relocated to Atlanta. I did an internship at their corporate headquarters in Dayton, Ohio. So that's business to business marketing, B2B marketing. Mm. One for me. Then the next summer, my graduate internship, Coca-Cola, Atlanta. Uh, ah, that's more uh, like it, consumer yeah. marketing. Yeah. The commercials I saw when I was a kid, a product that I can relate to yeah. that's more interesting. You can weave music into that kind of thing. Mm. That's around when I started realizing, like, okay. This feels good. This said. feels good, and even in the 90s, like. You started seeing like what Sprite was doing yeah. with hip hop, with Grand Puba and Pete Rock and Seal Smooth and you know some of exactly Chris Cross. You know what I mean? Like you started seeing it being weaved in in a way that was more authentic. Yeah. Like because the Sprite commercials felt authentic. Yeah. Like they're doing real freestyle sessions. Large Professor was in one. Mm. Like that started feeling like okay, this is feeling right. And then Spike, what Spike Lee did with his Jordan commercials oh, and Mars Blackman and bringing the Mars Blackman character from she's mm. got to have it into the Jordan commercials. It's like, okay, yeah. now it's seeming like there's a space that I can play in, yeah. that I can operate in, right? And then a lot of the black labels, like clothing labels, were mm. launched in the mid to late 90s, the too. Cross colors, Carl Kanai. Cross colors, Carl Kanai. I still remember my Carl Kanai jeans suit. You had a nail one? I had a green Carl With that big steel little plate on that joint? So fly, man. Bro, that probably cost you like 200, 250. I was so hyped when I was at the school. I was so Oh, you was winning, bro. I was when I leave by Silver Tab. Nah, I was steady wearing Jordash. You had a Jordash look. It's all good. It's all good, though. You know what I mean? We got to get it with Mom's made doing what she could. Exactly. I was up in Marshalls now. Oh, no, I was in Marshalls too. Don't get it twisted. Moms, moms was all up in the Sunday sales, man. Right. Like, we got clothes. Dada, what you know about Dada. it? Dada, <laughs> and Nietzsche. Oh man, not man. a black brand, but a quote unquote. I, I'm not a fan of this term, but an urban brand, if you will, mm, a hip hop sure. brand. Yep, yep. Um, Echo. Oh yeah, Echo was Echo was popping, bro. It was. Echo was popping. Mecca. Parasuka. Mecca. Parasuka. Oh, with the, with the reflective joint on the yeah. side. Yeah. He said, Mecca, bro. Mecca. Just gave me a flash. Yo, check it. I still I still have my Mecca jersey. Like, my no, mom had I brought it back. I'm going to rock it this year. Oh, that shit's actually flying right bro, now. Bro, I'm trying to tell you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's banging. I'm just waiting for the right opportunity oh, to bring it out. <laughs> but that joint, that joint is heat. You got to wait for the summer. He's like, yo, I'm going to kill with this. No, it's like the hockey joint. It's oh, the hockey joint? Okay. Yeah. So, like, late winter, yeah, yeah, you yeah. got a coat on because you can't hide it. You know? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. flying. I'm right telling y'all right now, this, this Mecca one right here. What color is it? Yo, it's like an emerald, like, green with a dark blue. And mm. we got Mecca in the, like, in oh, the middle. The big, with the big, yeah, the big Mecca in the middle. Like red, white, blue. That shit's actually right. hard. I'm right telling now. you, it's hard. Damn, we some old heads. We all, yeah. We just completely <laughs> dig out. We fly in here. Don't get it twisted. No, so we're going to, we're going to eventually get to Diddy. Mm-hmm. And what yeah. I said about yeah. how I feel like, well, I know that I, that I influenced his point of view on that mm. changing over time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm a brother with the NDA. Mm-hmm. 
now I'm interning at Colt. I'm graduating, fam. Right. So I ended up with an offer from Procter & Gamble. Colt made me an offer to come back. Mm -hmm. Now Procter & Gamble I was really considering because you know Procter & Gamble's in 75% of your cabinets, whether you know it or not, you know, from, from game laundry detergent to Tide laundry detergent to Swiffer to Mr. Clean, like it's, wow. it's all up in your cabinet. I think the stat is 75% of your cabinet are Procter & Gamble products. They're credited with creating brand management in terms from a marketing standpoint. So I read about them a lot in all my marketing classes. Having a marketing concentration, you go deep into a consumer behavior was an important class for me because that's in the mind of like how consumers think. Yeah, the psychology behind it. And that's what really interests me, how people think, what makes people tick, what motivates people. How can you tap into that sweet spot? The sense of belonging, your sense of who you are. You know what I mean? Like your value system. All of that is tied to consumer behavior and the psychology behind it. So I had an offer from Procter & Gamble. I had an offer from Coke. I had an offer from Ford. Shout out to FAM, man. School of Business and Industry, SBI. Yeah. And I fam. think d Ware uh, went there too. Who? Um, Danny. Oh, where? oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Danny. A lot of Chicago people yeah. do go to my college roommate, Lance. Shout out to Lance Tut. South Chicago, he's from, so a lot of Chicago people, it's a big Chicago contingent at, at FAM. So I ended up going with Procter & Gamble for all those reasons I laid out. So I moved to downtown Cincinnati. And it was really cool, and this is how it comes together to like fully answer the other part of your question. Like, it was cool because the, it was a sister that was part of the recruiting team at FAM that was talking to me. And fun fact, Autumn, if you listen to this, don't take offense. I ain't know Autumn was black. Her name is Autumn McDonald, and she does. She did not sound black at all. You know what I mean? So I didn't know she was black, right? I don't know if I ever told her that, but I'll tell her to listen to this one day. Yeah, don't take it personal. We're still friends to this day. So she was one of the people on the phone. They fly you up when you get an offer before you accept just like take you on a tour. You can bring somebody with you, and they put you with a realtor. Oh, yeah, all of this stuff is just like, New to me, I'm like, this is dope, right? They seen you around the town, like, so like my mom, I flew my mom up, and she got to come with. I mean, they flew her up. I chose her to come, you know what I mean? And then they take them on the tour of the city, and then you shadow somebody for a day. I see Autumn. Autumn's a gorgeous black woman, only two years older than me. So, so happened that it was a spot on her team that was available, and it's on the ethnic marketing team. And she's fluent in Spanish, so it's like African-American marketing and Latino wow. marketing. So I came on her team. So she was my direct boss, black woman, and our boss's boss. So her boss, the head of our department, who I actually think is the highest ranking black woman at Procter & Gamble now. Wow. Jessica, she was our boss. So my, the head of my department was, was a black woman, my direct boss was a black woman, and our coordinator was a black woman. Uh. So like that's the working like environment I was blessed to come yeah, in right. like right out of school. It was just like, yo, this is crazy. Right. Doing ethnic you, marketing, right? Get you together real quick too. Yo, yeah. Oh, listen, let me tell you. There's no slack in it. Let, let this team. be clear. Uh, Autumn is the toughest boss I've had to this day. Wow. She was on my ass in a good way. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. Like tighten me up real quick. Yeah, yeah. Check me when I needed to be checked. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like and she'll make me rewrite these proposals and things like numerous times you know what i mean but it made me tighter yeah. and like i said we're friends now which is really cool yeah. 
like sometimes I'm still weirded out by it, like the fact that she was like my first boss and was like on my neck. But you know what I mean? Like we're really good friends at, at, at this point. So I'm downtown Cincinnati. I get to fly. This is, I'm 23 years old. I get to fly like, so for what we did, because it's ethnic marketing, African-American and Latino, all our research, so we're, we're marketing research. So it's the consumer behavior thing. So we're doing focus groups, in-home interviews. So I get to fly to New York all the time, wow. Chicago, L.A., Atlanta. We had an office in San Juan, Puerto Rico. So I went to Puerto Rico like six times in like 13 months. So I'm traveling everywhere. Just two years before, I had my first flight. So I'm just getting all this life experience and then experience, like, like real business experience. And we do these focus groups. And it was our job to come back and I would like, write up the summary from the research. Like, this is our target consumer for this product. Here's an example. How does this, how does Mr. Clean make this female Latina head of household feel when she uses it? It's not about the product and its cleaning properties. It makes her feel like she's taking care of her family. That's the kind of stuff I learned, like deeply psychological. How does it make her feel? This product enables me to be the best mom I can be for my family. So then I would take all this research and we would like, like send surveys out and that stuff, you know, with the aid of like a third party company. And then I'll do the recommendations based on that. That was my favorite part of writing up this like summary. And you do recommendations to the brand, like the tagline should be changed. It's our core consumer. We should have this in our advertising, this imagery, these words kept popping up, these words resonated, that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm in Cincinnati, I'm doing that. All oh, this is great, I can apply this. I'm, I wanna eventually apply this to entertainment. And I'm gonna park right there for like a second. So for me, I was just as intrigued by TV and film as I was with music. But I chose music because music exists in TV and film. You don't have TV and film without music. Exactly, and like music drives it. I mean, the first sound, the first sound ever in film was a musical performance. And this is the jazz singer with Al Jolson. He was performing a song. Like before that, it was a silent films. Wow. You know, with the words would pop up in the middle, like, oh no, and then they'll act it out like it was all like that until then. So the first sound ever in film, other than like somebody playing a piano mm -hmm. underneath it, was a musical performance in terms of first talking in a film. Wow. So so you got that right. So I, I'm like, I definitely go on music. I was also an artist, so I was dropping bars and we were performing so like fam. So my group's name was Soul Control. Okay, okay. Like everybody calls me X, but like my family and friends, like anybody from fam, anybody from Daytona, like they're gonna call, they call me Zay. Mm. Oh, just Zay. There you go. Zay Blow, like that's, that's another like nickname from back home. So I just, sure. yeah, just go with that. Yep. So like, we were performing and so that part comes into play too, like being an artist, the artist side of it. And I was always interested in the business side of things too. Right. So you got all that coming together. So I'm, I'm in Cincinnati about a year and a half and I'm starting to get that itch. Like, okay, I gotta get to New York. I knew it was New York. Wow. Going back exactly. 20 years prior. Exactly. You're 24 now. 24. Yeah, 24. Yeah, 24, not 25 yet. 24 going on 25. And I'm like, okay, it's time. Yeah. Here's another moment. God clearly gives me the plan. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting on the side of my bed in Cincinnati and God just gives me, gives me the plan as clear as day. In the same way it happened to me at three years old, it happened to me at 24. Wow. A clear thought planted in my mind. I knew it didn't come from me. Because I'm like, how am I going to get to New York? And God said, you're going to go back to school. Mm. I didn't even know anybody that went to NYU or know anything like, I knew NYU was a good school. 
but I didn't know any specifics about programs. Yeah. And guys, you know, I knew about the film, they had a good film school and all of that, but I didn't know more than that. And God said, you're going to go back to school. NYU has a program you're going to be interested in. Wow. Just like that. And I'm like, okay. And then God said, leave, leave P&G, take a job in or near New York and have them move you to the city. And you work that job for a year, you apply to NYU, you're going to get accepted, you're going to go to NYU. That's how you're going to transition into the music industry. Wow. I, leave, I leave Procter & Gamble. You got a guy that's speaking. <laughs> Yo, Yo I'm telling you, it's so... You got the LTE. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that five, I'll be waiting on the message. You're like, yo. You see that dot, dot, dot in those our messages. Like, God, will you please finish? That's amazing, bro. Just like that. Laid it out just like that. I got up from there. So... I really, really believe when God tells you these things, you gotta follow up. You gotta move. You gotta, fo- you gotta move. You can't wait too you long. You can't wait because you can miss it. I'm telling people that I like you, you either. Can miss if it. you wait too long, you miss. It'll come back around. That's right. It will. But it'll take longer That's every time. Right. That's you exactly don't grab it. right. Because I've, t- I've messed Me up. Me too. And, and I've been. I've shit. had other moments where I knew I was supposed to do something. I didn't do it. I was afraid at the time. If I call it what it really is. Because I know we, we don't like to say that. For, for sure. But if I call it fear, fear right. there was times I... You're looking at your reality, you might be broke, you might be... That's right. I can't make that move right that's now. That's right. Like, and then you don't do it. So there are times, y'all, like, so anybody listening to this, there are times where I didn't move on and I learned those lessons. So, but this was a time, thank God, <laughs> that I didn't. I got right up from there, went, got on Google. Google oh, I'm telling you, I, NYU, I didn't know there was a like, program like this. I Google NYU um, music business <laughs> search. Bro, this program pops up. It's an undergrad one and a graduate one. Master of Arts in music business. I didn't know programs existed like that. And reading it, now mind you, I have my MBA. At this time, like, I didn't have much debt or anything, so I'm in a good place. Okay. So I'm thinking like, ah, man, like, I'm going to go back to school. Like, I'm trying to go back to school, but when I read that, I'm like, if I had to go back to school, <laughs> this would be the program. That sounds dope. That sounds like me. I mean, it couldn't have been, if I had to write, like, if there was a dream program and I just had to write it up, that was the description. So I knew, I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to apply to that program. And then and the job market was really good at the time. And... So I interviewed with a bunch of companies, and I ended up at Arm & Hammer. Church & Dwight Incorporated owns Arm & Hammer and Trojan and a bu- bunch of brands. But Arm & Hammer is their big one. So I got hired to be associate product manager of Arm & Hammer Toothpaste. So the whole dental care line, I did the marketing for that. So package, graphic, restage. So I can tell you anything you want to know about toothpaste. Y'all can't see me right now, but my teeth are popping. Yeah, they white. They, they, they white. definitely yeah, white. You got that first advanced white <laughs> with baking soda. Peroxide. Baking soda. I still use all my hammer toothpaste. They put me So, So I did that for I did that for a year. But I knew that the plan was, this is holding me down. They, they moved me to New York, so I moved to Jersey City. They're based in Princeton. So they moved me to Jersey City so I could be close to the city, so I can come into the city to go to shows at night. And so I can really feel like I'm a part of the city rather than living in Central Jersey. Right, and that's right. no shade to Central Jersey, but no, my calling. Well, fine, shade to Central Jersey. Well, fine, <laughs> Central Jersey. It's boring now and there. It's, it's pretty though. A lot of deer. 
Sure. So yeah, I'm, I used to live in Jersey. I know how that goes. A lot of deer down there, man. US one, Route one. So worked in Princeton. I reverse commuted down there. It was <laughs> it was an hour and fifteen minute reverse commute down there. And I remember I was like, I gotta get in this program because I could, this can't be my life. Like it was like respectable job. I got paid really well. I'm twenty four, making like ninety thousand dollars. Like, and I with no debt. This this is two thousand. So I moved here. This was summer two thousand one. You know he was riding Twinkie trays. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I was living. So it was lit. In the city. Yo, so I was living in downtown, like right on the waterfront in Jersey City. Ooh, That's how well that young black man. Young y'all always say what I always say. I'm like, yo, there's no experience. I think actually Mayweather said this shit. He was like, yo, there's nothing like a young black man. That's eating, that's getting it. Yeah. It's, it's man. Yeah. It's an experience. He's out here living like boomerang. I was doing, <laughs> yo, that's my that's one of my inspirations, man. Marcus Graham. Yeah. Shout, shout out to him. A lot of people got interested in marketing mm. through that movie. Wow. I never thought about that. Through that movie and that's seeing it. So that movie was a big influence on me. It's one of wow. it's one of the few DVDs I own to this day. I just watched it like three weeks ago. That's crazy. I gotta watch it every every DVD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I'm streaming everything. I'm smart TV'd out, but that's PlayStation for that though. Oh, yeah. Nah, yeah, now, yeah. Boomerang was boomerang. You gotta own it. You gotta take. I was taking as a young boy. I was taking yeah. notes you know, a on a lot of things. There's a lot of game in boomerang. A lot of yo. things going on. These there. youngers don't know about don't Gen know. Z. Don't know about y'all. Better y'all better go back and watch Ooh. Boomerang, not the BET version. Yeah, right. You gotta go back to the Eddie. Go back to the Eddie Murphy, nineteen ninety two. Robin, woo. Robin Givens, All Star Cast. God bless the dead pops. Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt. Pops. Top, yo, Boomerang. Martin. Chris Rock. Chris Martin. Rock. Martin. The mailman. David Allen Greer. David Allen Greer. Y'all better go back. Jeffrey Holden. Y'all better go back. Boomerang is a classic. Strangey. Strong. Oh, come oh, on, man. Grace Jones, Grace man. Jones. That's Facts. crazy. She was amazing in that. That's a young habit. What about Strictly Business? Oh, Strictly Business is a good one, too. It's a good that one. Movie, that movie just makes me feel good. Right? That just makes you feel good. Right, but the business aspect. That's, is, absolutely. But, I, I used but to those, love that. But yeah, when I named the movies, those are ones like that came, that was that second wave for me. Yeah. Like when I'm a little older, yeah. in high school age, and then I'm seeing these movies now as black people. Yeah. In those roles. In those, posi- yep. in those positions. Yep. Even so, two can play that game. I know that's, that's a little No, but for real though, no, but really it. though, because that's that's they college were for me. Too exactly. Yep. So stuff like that, it does plant a seed in your mind. Very and let me let me since we on this right here, I'ma digress and say, I believe a speaker came to fan, and you know like the speakers come in and this dude, he was talking about the New World Order and Illuminati and all of that, right? And he hipped me to something. Like, he wasn't talking to me one-on-one, but this particular thing. Black Israelites on Kevin? Yo, that's a beautiful <laughs> They're my, yeah. they my corner of black right 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 Are you not far from me, then? <laughs> Yo, so he hit me to something that stuck with me then. Yeah. Movies introduce concepts that they know are coming before to get the people ready. Here's one. In the 90s, mid-90s, around 96, 97, they started having black presidents in movies. But you saw that before. And all the world, the world was always ending in the movies, right. too, by the way. You know what I'm saying? But you never had that before. Morgan Freeman played the president uh, on one of the ones. Yeah, I think it was right. Sudden Impact or Deep Impact, I think yeah. the name was. Head of State. Head of State. You see what I'm saying? Uh, now you're starting to see that, and guess what happens in 2000? Black mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? Telling you. 
these movies introduce concepts to you that plant seeds and get the people ready. Because you start seeing that in a movie, you're like, yeah, okay. God was black in the movie. Morgan Freeman was God. Oh, yeah, that's true. Almighty Bruce. Yep. Bruce Almighty. Right. Yep. But God was black. That intro, I'm telling you, that, that seed gets planted in exactly. people's minds. So, Colin, you're not even thinking about that's it. That's right. Person. And then now you got a candidate that comes up for president. It doesn't seem so far-fetched. Yeah. And that's a few years before. I never thought that would happen in my lifetime. Yo, that's a hundred. You know what I mean? That's a fact. And it happened so smooth. You know, you know what I'm saying? I was there. I was, I was out there in front of the um, reflecting pool, right in front of it, frozen at inauguration the first one. I had to be out there. Had to be out there. Yeah, I remember you know that time I mean? yesterday. Yeah. Remember, yeah. Do you remember that? We digress a little. That's all right. No, I'm, I'm going to bring it right that, back. Remember that feeling around that time? Man. It, hope. Because he spoke about hope a lot. Yeah, it was magical. Like the it energy. Really was, I remember man. listening to Sam Cooke. James uh, Wilson. Oh, man. If, if, it tears to your eyes. And, just the, and when Obama used to speak, man, like, man. Like, I never voted it before in my life. Maybe a little bit with Clinton cared about State of the Unions. Me neither. Yeah. That was like appointment TV yeah. when, when Barack was in office. Yeah, that's must-see TV. When President Barack <laughs> was in office. That was must-see TV because he was going to drop it. Yeah. Right? Things, man. So I do believe like these movies introduce these concepts yeah. that influence who, who we are and make us think, feel and know that things are possible, even if they really haven't happened yet. So for me, that made me a little more comfortable being in like a corporate environment. And this other thing too, I started locking my hair. I always had big hair. I started locking my hair after I was at PNG. Mm. Now I was gonna lock that fan, but I was smart enough to know, let me hold up. Let me get in the door first. Let me get in the door first. And not only get in the door first, let me get in the door first and get this good review. Yeah. Uh, you did then, say right. kill the job they hired you to do. Exactly. Yeah. Then I twist it up and then try to act funny. For sure. And I locked, so I started locking in corporate America. So I wasn't even fully locked when I was doing these interviews, like to come to New York. And I remember some people asked me, like, "You gonna cut her off?" And I'm like, "Nah," because if you got a problem with this, you got a problem with me. So I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get the job, and then I'm gonna do me. So like, all of that just helps me to be like unapologetically myself, because that goes back to age three. I'm cool. I'm different, and I'm me in all environments. So I'm at church in Dwight. I'm doing this commute. I'm like, all right, man, I got to get accepted. This program only accepts like 25 people a wow. year. And like people apply from all over the world. Wow. So end up getting a call back about an interview, do the interview. And I don't know how this happened when I look back on it, like how it went down to the last day. I turned my application. I, had to, I was like so behind on getting it turned in where like it was too late to mail it. Because they had to receive it by a certain date. You couldn't just postmark it by a certain date. They had it, it was very explicit. It was explicitly written on the site like, we have to receive your application by this day. Wow. It got to the point where I had to like drive like crazy uh, after turnpike, turnpike from Princeton, leave work early, drive into Jersey City Park, get on a light rail, get on a path, run across Washington Square Park, and hope that I made it to the office and put it on a stack. So I get there, that all that really happened. Somehow, somehow, air quotes, the train ended up going express on a path. Because if it went low, if it went, if it took the regular stops that it normally supposed to take, I would not have made it. I'm telling you, it was not supposed to be an express train. It skipped the next stop, was 8th Street on the path, which is right there by NYU. 
I ran across Washington Square Park, and it was like a storm that day, too. Ran, I get up to the office, praying as I'm going up the elevator that the door isn't locked. Because it's too late then. Door was still open. I could see a stack of applications, like the application pile. So I go put it on the top of the stack, and I just sit just to catch my breath. Somebody comes out the back, and they're like, hey, you know, did you just turn your thing in? It was like the director of the program. So I got to talk to her right then and there. <laughs> See what I'm saying? God's plan cannot be stopped. God's plan cannot be stopped. You got to put it in motion and you got to make moves and you got to fight like hell to execute and things will happen. So Church and Dwight apply. I get accepted. I know I'm going to NYU. The plan is working. I know I got to move into the city the next year. I know I got to leave this job because it wasn't going to be a part-time. I needed to be a full-time student. Now, that summer, turning, so this is now I'm 25, and at the end of the summer, I'm going to turn 26. I just got completely debt-free. Own my car, no credit card debt, no student loans. I'm accepted at NYU. My boss comes and tells me, hey, we're going to promote you. You're doing a great job. So right in that meeting, I had to tell them, like, because they were good to me, like, I gave him six weeks notice. I was like, man, I'm, I'm leaving. Sorry. And I remember he was just like, oh! Uh-huh. But they were going to like give me all this extra money. Wow. And this is something that never, ever, ever happens. And there's a point to me saying this part of the story. Wow. My, where I lived in Jersey City. Again, this is on the water in Jersey City. It was like Manhattan prices. They were going to lower my rent. I'm telling you, this never happens. Like $800 a month to resign. They were going to give me a month free and lower my rent. Was it a recession time or something? Like, what? This, I ain't never maybe, heard maybe. You know what? You know what it was? Now that I think about it? Now that I think about it. So I chose that apartment. And it's right on the waterfront, Jersey City. Right over by the Colgate clock. So it's back over there. That's directly across from World Trade Center. And I moved there 2001. I moved in. My move-in date was... Um, October 1st, 2001. I picked that place. I picked that place, New York. I knew I was supposed to come because I wasn't in the city yet. But I'm right across the river and I got the perfect view of the Twin Towers. And a few weeks before I move in, I don't have to say what happened. So that's probably what it was. Now that I think, I literally never thought back on probably what that was. And they were probably trying to keep people in the area because what they didn't show on the news. That ground was, quality and yeah, that ground was smoking. Yeah, you could yeah, see yeah. it from Jersey. Wow. The ground was smoking for like five, six months. Yeah. Like plumes of smoke steadily coming up from there. So that's probably what it was it. when I think back on it now. Got it, got it. So I say all that to say now I'm at a crossroads. Because you can mm-hmm. defer your enrollment for a year under your acceptance. Uh, so I'm like, ah, I can stack. Mm-hmm. They give me a promotion. I have no debt. My rent's going to drop. So my expenses are actually going down. I'm gonna make more money. I defer for a year, and God is like, "What? That's not what we talked about." Now I'm at a crossroads, and this is important. NYU, it's always in the top three, but at the time it was number one. It fluctuates. Number one expensive school, most expensive school in the country, at all schools. Like, dang. And they ain't trying to get you. Got a master's already. They ain't trying to help you. Like with scholarships and stuff. And sure. They're like, well, you can afford. You're a pro- working professional is what right. they call it. So I'm like, now I got to take on $100,000 for two years of school? Wow. How bad do you want it? That's the question. 
And I'm like, that's worth it to me. But I had, I was at that crossroads and I had to think about it. And I had to go, I had to think about what that odometer looked like every time a mile went, went by. And I was just like, man, my life can't be this. So I need to step out and try it. You know, when we talked about like uncharted waters, man, like unmarked territory, like I had to go for it. So I moved into Brooklyn and then full-time student at NYU. I'm checking my email. And I just, again, air quotes, y'all, because y'all can't see it. I so happened to be checking my email where 26 people in the program, maybe six, seven, eight of us are black. One of the black dudes in the program had sent an email, and I, I saw when the email like came up in my inbox. So I was probably the first person to open it. And it was like internship at well-known label. If you're interested, like if you want to try to get an interview, let me know. So he didn't say the label on purpose. Mm -hmm. Hit him up. Yep, I'm interested. It's Bad Boy. Wow. Now, Bad Boy in this fall 2002, making the band is on MTV, one of the hottest shows on TV yeah. at the time. Diddy wow. Runs the City yeah. had happened like earlier that year. Yeah. So, like, it was a lot going so on. Like, where Chloe Glassman. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So, he sure did with the little heart on it. The little <laughs> glitter heart. That's, that's my favorite Diddy. The little, the little, the little glitter. <laughs> so, so I get this internship. So long story short, I get an internship in marketing at Bad Boy. The head of marketing at the time, Tracy Waples. So that's, that was my entree into the music industry. We're like at least getting experience like at a label. So I'm at Bad Boy like, and then NBA, Procter & Gamble, Church & Dwight, Coca-Cola. They didn't give a damn. I'm getting copies. I'm getting people's lunch. I'm going down putting money in meters for people. So they don't get parking tickets. Yep. Yeah, it was real. Like, online billing wasn't really happening then. So I would, they'd be like, yo, go pay my Verizon bill. So I'm down there, like, in a long line paying people's Verizon bills. Like, so it was, like, really paying dues because that's how Diddy came up in the game. So anybody who's coming in trying to get the foot in though, you're gonna have to do the same thing. Yeah. But what I would do, and I had to answer phones. So what I would do though, when I had to make a copy, if it was like a video treatment or just anything of substance, I don't know if they know I did this. I would make a copy for me too. And then I'm reading. So now I'm reading what y'all read. And that's how I'm learning. And that's what I'm doing. So I'm doing that. So I did that spring of 2003. So that's wow. my first entree. And then I ended up staying on through the summer. When the others, cause I was, at the time when you're interning in like the spring, it's not a lot of other interns. Yeah. I'm sure I was the only intern. And because I was a little older than most interns at the time, and at the time you didn't have to have, like we got college credit for it at NYU. You know, it was a wild west. Back then you ain't get paid. It basically gave us a Metro card each week. And basically you were paying them. $17? You know what I mean? Right. You know what I mean? So right. So you was like getting like a Metro card basically to go there. So you lost money to work there, but again, how bad do you want it? What are you willing to do? Are you willing to go beyond somebody else? And I knew the opportunity. I mean, I read about Diddy. You know what I mean? And that's, you know, that stuff shaped me. So I'm in it now. Yeah. I'm in New York City. And the office was at 40th and Broadway. And I get to come to this and like learn. So I'm soaking it up. So I stayed on that summer and because I was older and had work experience, they put me over the other summer interns. Mm -hmm. So then I got like, kind of some management experience as an intern, which was really cool. So the making the band stuff, the stuff that happened on camera, we would be doing that with the band, like running around with them all aggravated and stuff. 
That's what I did all that summer. Some Nest, Dylon, Chopper, Babs, Sarah Stokes, all of that. I was that was me doing that. They asked me to be on the show, which was going to take place fall of 2003. I said no because it would have took me away from my classes. Because it goes back to sticking with the plan. So a friend of mine, Jason Wiley, ended up being on the show because he was an intern with me that summer. But I, I ended up, I was like, nah. And then I didn't want to look like a damn fool running around these people on camera. So I wanted to intern different places. So at the end of that summer, oh, and this is, this is important to know, I got voted employee of the month as an intern, which had never happened before at Babel that summer. So that was like a big deal. Like they made a really big deal about it. And the Puff became aware of who, who I was. Cause you know, he was in the office every day. He's sure. here, there and everywhere. He's Puff. He's Puff, you know what I mean? But he became aware of who I was. And one thing I always did whenever there was like a company town hall. So it'd be these meetings once a month where he would like address the company. So interns, everybody could be in this meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And him and, and the execs would like sit around the table and then everybody else was kind of on the outside. And then you can a ask a question. Every time we opened up a q and I always had my hand up for the first question, mm. like, a, like a real business question. And it was always a good question. I learned that SBI fam. And he took notice of me. Like I, I saw it like he took notice. Because right. most people would be afraid to even, people would be so afraid of him that like a lot of people wouldn't even speak when he'd be in the hallway because they're just like shook. Like, do I say what's up? Yeah. He had actually say in the town hall, hey, uh, it is my company, so if I'm here, y'all speak to me. Mm, wow. Like, it's weird. So I wanted to intern different places. Back to that strategy I did at FAMU. Remember, I interned at different places to get different industry experience. I didn't want to get pigeonholed as a black man with locks, hip-hop head, that that's all I knew. I also know rock. I also know some pop. You know what I mean? Like, I know different parts of music. I didn't want to get pigeonholed as a hip-hop guy. So I decided to stop interning there. So then I got, went out and got an internship on my own at Warner Music Group. So I did that that fall. And then for my last semester at NYU, I got an internship at Columbia. So it was in an A&R war room. So basically as interns every week, so during the week we just research and we would play two records of artists that we suggest that they should sign. And me and this other intern got John Legend signed through that. So that was like my big, one of like the big things that happened with me, like, you know, like before I can, you know, before I like graduated. It was my last semester, and because I had my master's already, my, my MBA and a lot of our courses is music business, so a lot of our courses are core business courses. I didn't have to take those, so they knocked off a semester of my classes. Mm. So my last semester, I just interned at Columbia. I worked on my thesis, and then Bad Boy called me back to work there part-time. Mm. So I was doing, like, at the time, it was called new media marketing, not digital marketing, but mm. so I was doing that. So my thing was, for my thesis, I wanted to interview Puff. So I asked Tracy Waples, hey, think you can give me an interview with Puff sometime? And she made it happen. So I did a thesis on a sophomore slump. You know, you come out with a dope first album or you have a great rookie year in sports. And then the next year or the next album is just not good. I wanted to analyze like what went into that. What are the reasons that this happens? You know what I mean? So not to digress, I won't get into all of that. But sophomore slump is just something, it's just like a fascinating topic to me. So I wanted to interview him for it because there wasn't research on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when there isn't research on it, you need to do interviews. So I was, so I was able to interview Puff. So he's doing a Raising in the Sun on Broadway at the time. It's in previews. So I'm in, right? So I'm backstage. He's getting ready. They're prepping him. And it's on a Friday night. And I'm in there, like, interviewing him. My little digital recorder. I'm interviewing Puff, like, 
about the sophomore slump. He's being super candid with me, man. This is a great conversation. And he was just candid about his own sophomore slump. You go from no way out, 10 mil, to y'all probably don't even know the name of the second album. What's the name of the second album he did after No Way Out? No, that's the name of the group. I'll tell you what the album cover looked like. Let me see if you catch the name. He had on all white. He was sitting in the chair. Was it like black and white? Yeah. I I'll give it to you. Forever. Ah, uh, okay. That's right. What, can't what even remember it? that. What was the choice on there? I don't even remember. Was that We Ain't Going Nowhere or was that the next one? No, that was the next one. I actually remember that. Yeah. I don't remember. The only, the only Diddy records I remember from that is like, what's called? Oh, I know which record was on there. The D, the I, the D, wow. the D. The that was on there. Gotcha. What's whole second album? I think a lot of people forgot sophomore. Yeah, volume one. I think it is volume one. Volume one? Yeah, volume one yeah, is the next album. It is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then Streets is Watching came out. And then... Yeah, and then volume yeah. two. I think Nas had a, the same thing with um. So, so, so I like the second I, yeah. one. Second one, I wasn't mad. It was the ones after that. Nostradamus yeah. was. Yeah. yeah. Actually, you're right because I am got that one track. Right. Like my favorite. Because the track. second one was it was written. Yeah. And it was written had some joints on it because it was written had um. If I rule the world. Okay. And street dreams. Yeah. So if I rule the world featuring Lauren Hill. And then Street Dreams are made of these. Yeah. So that was his second album. Yeah. So that wasn't bad. But then after that. Yeah, he lived. Man, forever, though. Yeah. So, right. So he was very candid with, like, that's all two million coming mm -hmm. off a tent, right? Mm -hmm. So coming off of that, he had to be, like, very, like, very clear, like, with me, like, yeah, that was a failure. Mm. That was considered a failure. So that's crazy. Think about that. Though. That's a failure, failure when you're coming diamond. off a tent. Right now, that's like a success. Diamond, yeah. right? So very candid. So really cool conversation. So, so a couple of cool things happened. So Tracy Waples was talking to me about being a product manager when I graduated. Now I'm a couple of weeks away from graduating. Okay. NYU is 2004 now. The other thing is I was valedictorian at NYU, so it had already been announced. You got the Puff interview. It's merged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, is this a discussion? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I announced that I'm going to be valedictorian, giving the speech in Madison Square Garden, blah, blah, blah. So like, Bad Boy was very proud and like really like excited about it. So at the end of the interview, he asked me, he was like, so, so what are you doing when you graduate? So I said to him, hopefully working for you, meaning working at Bad Boy. Like, oh, you know, working at Bad Boy, like, work for you. Because, you know, Tracy was talking about me being a product manager. So he starts like, I can tell you, he started thinking. And he was like, okay, okay. Something close to me is opening up. I want you to go for it. I ain't know what this man was talking about. Okay, cool, though. I'm hyped. Like, the interview goes great. I'm backstage, Broadway, like, for Raising in the Sun. Like, Felicia Rashad's walking by and Audra McDonald and Sanaa Lathan. Like, it's like a dream, right? I mean, this is history. This is history. So I go, I, I leave. Then, so I was a bad boy part-time, Columbia the other time. So I go, this is a Friday night, so the next day I go in a bad boy. I don't remember if I went in on Mondays and Wednesdays or Tuesdays and Thursdays, but the next day I go in. Come up from the train. Back then, cell phones didn't work when she went underground. When she went in the train, it was like you went in the black hole for 45 minutes to an hour. And you come up and then, you know, make your call. So I come up to the office, and everybody's like, where you been? Where you been? And I was like, on the train. At least five people came, like, hustled up to me. And I came in at, like, the beginning of the day. And they're like, Vashta, who was the head of HR, she's looking for you. And I'm like, uh, okay. But five different people tell you the head of HR is looking for you. Where you been? You like, 
Yo, am I about to get fired? Because you heard stories of like Puff, like, you know what I'm saying? Like firing somebody for little to nothing, right? So I'm like, I'm trying to rationalize in my mind. And I just uh, walked to her office. I'm just trying to rationalize. And I was like, did he not like when I said, hopefully working for you? And maybe he thought about it later and thought maybe that was arrogant or too forward. Or then he was like, man, get this dude out of here. So that's what I'm thinking. So I I do the slowest walk ever to her office. (laughs) I get to her office. And the first thing she says is, close the door. Ah, damn, I'm about to get fired. This is in my head. Closing the door, trying, you know, keep cool. Turn around and sit down. And then she says, so, Puff is, I really thought I was going to get fired. It was like, Puff is looking for a protege. Somebody he can, like, eventually pass the company on to. And he feels that is you. Do you want to come work for him? You'll be his personal assistant. You'll be with him every day, and he'll teach you, like, you know, teach you the business. Do you want to do it? Now, I didn't say yes right away. Now, inside, I knew it was going to Now, you a smooth player for this. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I didn't say yeah right away. I was like, yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> my bad, my bad, my bad. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right, right. But I'm like, oh, I got some questions, you know. That's the SBI training, man. Like, so I kept cool, but I'm high. I knew this was a moment. Right. So long story short, I, like, I was his personal assistant and protege, and I was with him every day. This was like right after I graduated. This is before or after Farnsworth-Bentley? This was after. Mm, wow. This was after. So I was with him every day, man. My day. How long? I did it that whole summer. Wow. And so this is the thing, like, I'm doing this, you know, Sunday to Sunday. My day started waking him up. My day ended when he got into bed. Every and Diddy day. don't sleep. Sunday so that's so imagine, so they say Diddy doesn't sleep. I'm there wow. when he gets into bed. I'm there before he wakes up. So you don't sleep. Now, mind you, this, I'm just put it out there. This, this is a misnomer. He could say, cancel all my meetings. I don't want to take a nap during the day. You still working. Wow. And he would do that sometimes. You know what I mean? So you don't sleep when you're his assistant. Wow. So I'm learning stuff and blah, 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 blah. So I'm going to shorten this for another podcast on another day, maybe my book one day, details of that summer or something like that. But I ended up shifting into, into marketing digital marketing at Bad Boy. So I did that for a summer. Mm-hmm. I left, and then they called me back. So all that in between, y'all, one day down the road, I'll give y'all all that. So some that, that's, that's a good one, too. There's a lot of lessons in that. Wow. So I ended up doing digital marketing at Bad Boy. And, like, Sherry Dennis, like that, that era. Wow. Young Jock. I Sherry Dennis. I know, man. So Young Jock. Young Jock. It's going down. It's going down. Yep. So I like worked on those records, Biggie Biggie duets. Ooh. So I worked on that. That was like the website I did for that was crazy. So we did like a timeline of Biggie's life with all these like these like fun facts and like all these special things that happened in his life. Like it was just really like paying tribute to Biggie. So it was really dope that I got to do that. So I went from there to Motown Republic. So I was Motown Republic for four and a half years. I went there as like a digital marketing manager. A few months later, man, they promoted me to director. The year after that, I got promoted to senior director. So I worked on Amy Winehouse. I launched her. Oh, man. I launched her digitally in the U.S. Like I put, like I made her the first white OK player artist. Because wow. I knew, like, I just knew, going back to your question about, like, how to market and how to play it right, I knew she had to be accepted mm. with us first. Mm. You try to go the other way, you're going to miss it. 
And I knew from the music Salam Remy produced it, you know, half the album. Mark Ronson. And Salam didn't get the credit he deserves. He's a friend now. He didn't get the credit he deserved. The producer of the year um, went to Mark Ronson because Mark Ronson produced one more song on the album than Salam Remy did. And a lot of people don't know that. But Mark Ronson, Salam Remy, you know, so I knew what they were doing, like musically. I'm like, this is, this is black soul. And her look and her story, but we got to take her to the right audience first. And that's, that's, I was responsible for doing that from a digital marketing, marketing standpoint. Mm. So that was like one of my hallmarks at that time in my career. So launched Amy Winehouse and I worked with Ryan Leslie and Q-Tip and Erica Badu and like a lot of really cool artists. So I was there four and a half, four and a half years. I promoted the senior director and I took on traditional marketing for my projects. Then I ended up getting like stolen by Epic. So I went to Epic and what I did there, I was only there a year, but I launched Future's career. So I was his first product. He was manager. at Epic, the LA Times. <clears throat> the LA came in, so I was a part of the transition. Uh, so I got hired right before LA did. I mean, the rumor was already out that he was going to get hired. Amanda Ghost was actually the president when I officially got hired, but she was on her way out, and everybody knew it. LA came in, then he kept the people he was going to keep, which I was one of those, mm -hmm. and then you know let go the people he was going to let go. Mm -hmm. And LA um, Future came in under LA. Yeah. Well, that time. Cause that was his name for my bad. I'm a huge oh, super. Yeah, cause <laughs> went on a reckless run. Yeah, yeah man. Around that time. Yeah, so like, but I have a question real quick yeah. about that. Um, yeah. What role did um, um, I believe his name is Anthony Sela playing it? Cause he's part of Future. Oh, shit, I know, I know that's, that's Nas. I haven't Madden. thought of that. I haven't thought yeah, of that. So that's Nas. Nas, is, Nas is like I think advisor in a sense in a you know it's funny I can't answer that but I do remember his name okay. I just don't remember that specific you know what I mean um, my homeboy Propane shout out to Pro mm. he was a big part of like Futures Camp and like managing they were all like a lot of them they were just learning figuring it out yeah. at the that time run at that time yeah that so a big part of my role was just like helping him get established in the major la like label mm. system I mean getting his first photos like you know wow. think about at the time like he was so he was hot in Atlanta. Yeah. And so he had the Magic record and Tony Montana. Yeah, and that's when I think Drizzy hopped on Drake. Exactly. Hopped on. He yeah, hopped was, on Tony Montana. He was on his launch pad. Exactly. Yeah. So this is the thing. And like Drake wouldn't even do it. Like Future wasn't big enough to Drake at the time for him to even do the Tony Montana video. We did mm. the video in um, Dominican Republic. We did it in DR. Mm. And we did it in like the favelas in DR. Like, Drake wouldn't need to do the shoot. Right. Like, he wouldn't need to do the shoot because he didn't feel, like, feel at the time that Future was big enough. Interesting. And, uh, right. It's funny how it goes around like that. But this is, this is 2011. Right? So we do the video shoot and get him. So I helped him get established. And one thing that I already had, like, that I was really good at because I was an artist is just, like, working well with artists. Like, I was able to, like, tap into what Badu wanted to do and do something, like, some really, really creative things like like working with Badu and, and Future. Like sometimes we get on calls and he was like, yeah, X should just say the idea because he can say it better than I can say it. He can articulate it better than me. So we had a really good working relationship in that way. So I was able to like get them all set up for, for Pluto to come out. And then then I left Epic. So we're talking about getting laid off. Yeah. I got laid off under some shady circumstances. That is for another podcast, another time. Could imagine. Book another I time. Imagine your war label story. Yeah, man, I got some I got some stories. Stories wow. on stories. Wow. So 
this parallel career path started when I was still at Motown. And this shout out to Ayanna Roberts. She was a producer. She went to FAM, so she's a rattler. And she ended up living around the corner from me in Brooklyn. See, I'm telling you the way that God orchestrates these things, man. So she ended up living around the corner from me in Brooklyn. I know her from FAM. She's from Cleveland. I'm from Daytona Beach. And we live around the corner from each other in Brooklyn. We would take the same route to, to work. She worked at VH1. She was a producer. You know those countdown shows like 100 Greatest This and then the people yeah. would pop up. One day we were on our way to work and she was saying, hey, we're doing our first ever hip hop one. I'm like, oh, that sounds dope because I used to watch all of those. Yeah. I was like, how you get to be one of those people? But so she's just telling me about work. Yeah. We're doing our first hip hop one. A lot of people, like a lot of the artists are actually doing it because we're doing like 100 greatest hip hop songs. And she was like, we need somebody though that's not like one of the artists to give like context to this stuff. And she was like, really, we need somebody like you. Uh, yeah, he's like, damn, I'm somebody like me. Sure. Right. <laughs> in the back of my head, I'm hoping she's a please ask me, please ask me. She was like, you, you think you want to do it? Oh, hell yeah. So I said that yeah immediately. Yeah. Hell yeah. So because I wasn't like a known name, like I needed like just something extra. So I asked Puff. Like this is the only thing I've asked him for. And I was like, I need, I need you to call this guy like, and endorse me for this. And he did. He was like, give me. So he called the executive producer, said, this is a good look for y'all. Then he was like, write an email. I'll send the email. Tell me who to send it to. And I remember her executive producer, Ayana, told me she was like, he called, he called her into his office and was like, is this really Puff? Because they were trying to get him to be on the show and they couldn't even get a call back. And then now he's calling about this dude, X, Xavier. Like, who is this guy? So then I go in and the way it works is you in there for like hours and they just rattling off questions. They give you a little packet ahead of time. But they don't, they don't know all the songs that are going to be in because it's clearances and stuff. So you're talking about more than 100 songs. Yeah. And it, the way it works is the best sound bites win. So you got to speak in sound bites. Uh, you know, they got to be quick. You got to get it in so they can edit around it. So they interview way more people that, sh that show up in the, you know, in the uh, show. So the producers really liked me. And, and it's all going to tie into something you know, that's happening now. But... Producers really liked me, and then I got asked to be in more. And then I would be, I was all over those joints. So if you go back and look at 100 Greatest Hip Hop Songs and 100 Greatest R&B Songs of the 90s and Fabulous Life of Nick Cannon and Mariah Carey and Fabulous Life of Miley Cyrus, like, I'm in all those joints. Wow. Like, because so that, this, this parallel career path started. Mm -hmm. And when you first started doing, doing those things, especially with me, like I wasn't a known name, they just put, like, music, like, record industry executive under my name oh. and the Chiron. After I did a few of them, then they asked me, what do you want under your name? And I was like, huh, pop culture expert, put that under there. Then the minute they put that under your name, that's what you are. Because again, I got expertise in TV and film, and I know music and I know more genres than just hip hop and R&B. And then like, then I, 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 that's what I became at that time. So that just launched another part of my career. And then like being on TV that often with that frequency and those shows watched, I got hit up by so many people. And then I get got hit up by headline news, uh, headline news producer. So I went on there. I did live TV a few times, debating people, like debating lawyers and stuff. Like it was crazy. So that really just like launched a whole another. You got of that cachet too with the NBA, two double NBA. You know what I mean? So all of that, all of that comes into play about the education thing. So even going back to the Puff thing, like saying like we talked a lot about that. Because I, I know before, before me, I'm telling you, he didn't care about all that. Mm. He just kind of hung around. You weren't getting college credit. And then you kind of fall into one of these jobs. Yeah. 
like, cause I was there when Dia came on board too. So like, yeah, so I know Dia. So like, I was like the first who like had that kind of a background. Like I worked in corporate and I'm with him every day, like as his personal assistant, like that was new. That was a whole, that was a whole new thing. So it's dope to hear, even though I didn't watch that episode of the shop, yeah. to hear him saying that so adamantly now for sure 15 years later yeah you know what i'm saying normally you would think he would be on the other side of that's right and i started with you know what i'm saying wow a a dude with two masters from daytona i had no idea when saying that like i just watched it i just actually i just said like i I watched all the shots because they're very inspirational yeah yeah pretty dope show you know what i mean black man talking Mm -hmm. but um that's so crazy that you see how it all ties together like it's crazy so that led to I'm doing that for a little while after like I'm out of Epic I just focused on that you know so like one way of looking at it is oh you were in between jobs another way of looking at it is nah like this other part of my career was starting that I just wasn't getting paid for yet and it's how dope God is even though I wasn't working getting paid that advanced my career being on TV that frequently more than like if I would have still just been working at a label but pop culture expert sitting under my name for the next two three years Man, if you come up with that name, how, did you know it should be just strategic or you just want to... Just strategic, it? yeah, from a strategic reason. It was like, no, I, I wanted to be big because I'm like, a whole bunch of people are record industry executives. Mm. There's a million and one record industry executives. How many pop culture experts mm. are there? How do you become one of those? So how about this? I'm a pop culture expert because I'm talking about all this stuff. Um, I'm giving you cultural context to Miley Cyrus, mm. Nick Cannon and Mariah Carey. But I can tell you about why Fight the Power should be the number one hip hop song of all time. For sure. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. Or why Juicy should be number one. Yep. So on and so forth. You know what I mean? So I can go into all of that. I can tell you about, we can talk about Fight Club, the movie, and David Fincher. And you know what I mean? And all of these different things. Mm. So all of these things, I'm like, you know, I'm more than this one thing. Yep. And I want a title that will reflect that. And if I can, like, from my standpoint, I'm not getting paid, but if VH1 has my name up there with that under it, now I am that. And that's gonna come into play down the line and pay dividends, which it ended up doing, like to this very day. So to like, just to speed it up. So now 2014, Def Jam calls me, and this is really important to say, every job I've had in this industry, like post like Arm & Hammer, mm-hmm. came through a call, a text, an email. Wow. Not, nothing I saw and just applied for. Everything, Somebody since called that day, me. Since, since, since I stepped into this entertainment wow. industry, everyone is people that knew you already or people? All, some, like, for example, Epic, I just had an email wow. in my inbox one day. Like, that's from, from this recruiter that was working with Sony. Like, and that's how that came about. Mm-hmm. And then Def Jam, a guy I worked with who was at Motown, who was a GM and head of sales at Motown, he ended up at Def Jam. He called me because he thought about me. So he calls me and he's like, hey, because he was the head of sales. Now all the old school sales guys, they inherited the digital accounts, the iTunes, the Spotify's, and they're old school sales guys with whole different mentalities. These guys were selling cassettes and CDs to record stores that are, were dying a very fast death yeah. in 2014. Everybody knew where it was going and where consumption was shifting. So he hit me up, called me, and was like, hey, we need somebody like you. We need somebody with a marketing mind to go into this space and change the way it's done. Like with your creative mindset. Because it's really marketing. Like these are marketing platforms. 
Do you want to do it? Should I interview? Do you want to do it? Yeah, I do. And I knew it would be set up for me to work on the other side eventually. So I went to Def Jam, August 2014, head of digital commerce. So then I headed up like the relationships with iTunes and Apple and Spotify and SoundCloud and Google Play and so on and so forth. So like some of the things like, so you think of the run before it was crazy, but like launched Logic and Logic, we popped him. My, my plan was to break him at digital commerce. He was, gonna, he was one of those projects that was about to slip through the cracks. Because at any label, there's, there's artists that are signed. He had been on Def Jam for two years. Wow. There, there are artists on there that could be dope, but they don't know what to do with them. And I was able to hear the music. They were just kind of, honestly, they were just going to toss the project out there. Wow. And management to tell you, like, shout out to, like, Harry and Chris Zuru, they'll tell you. This is how it went down. I said, let me take it. I know what to do with it. Mm. We're going to break it at the platforms first. And that's what we did. So we went on a little tour. So I took him to Spotify. I took him to Apple. I took him to Google Play. Talked through the album. And his first album, Under Pressure, to me, is a low-key classic. Like hip-hop classic. I'm telling y'all, go back and listen to Under Pressure. I will. So we broke him. So like I was able to help like break him. Alessia Cara, that did the same strategy. Wow. Broke her. Then, but these are the albums that we, we put out at that time. Justin Bieber's Purpose. Big Sean, Dark Sky, Paradise. Kanye, Life of Pablo. Special thing with Life of Pablo didn't, didn't come out physically. But still physical copies were coming out of albums. You couldn't buy digital downloads. It was a streaming only, and still is, streaming only album. Living album. Yeah, because it was the first album where you could, um, like, he was editing it as... Exactly. It was a work in progress. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was me on the other side of that, getting that getting wow. those out and up. Wow. That must have been crazy. It was crazy, because sometimes he'd just be like, yeah, I got a new version, so... Uh, I, uh, yeah. Wow. Yep. The game. Rihanna's Anti. Whoa. Designer's Panda. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Some Ross albums in there, launched Vince Staples' career. Like... So it was like a great run. And some of it's just divine timing, man. That's just the time I was there. But I got to put out some great projects. So what happens is, as I'm working with the Apples and the Spotify's, they start saying to me, man, labels need to hire guys like you to do the job. Like, that's how the job should be done. So I hear that. I'm like, good. That's what I was brought here to do. Like, because, like, Pat Monaco was his name who called me to do the job. He said, like, I, don't, I want, don't just want to change for Def Jam. I want you to change how it's done in the industry. Like, he told me that straight up. Like, that was the challenge he issued to me. So I hear them saying that to me. I'm like, okay, we're on our way. That shifted in two years to, we need somebody like you. And then September 2016, I went to Spotify as the head of North America for shows and editorial. So over, overseeing all the playlisting for U.S. and Canada. So that's what I went to Spotify as over three years ago. Um, what I ended up doing was I created a new position because the thing when you come into a new company, you have a fresh set of eyes. And you know, you kind of have a blank canvas to mess with. Right. And, and what I saw was Spotify wasn't capitalizing from an editorial standpoint or just as a company in general on culture the way Spotify should. Meaning, like, okay, it was some holiday programming going on. They did some pride stuff. They had never done Black History Month. That's a big moment we're missing out on. I'm going to tell you just like this. And I say, I've said this in the company. I said, if I don't do anything before I leave here, we're going to do Black History Month. Sure. 
And because those decisions like rested with me, I didn't have to ask permission. Like, like it was my decision. Yeah. We did Black History Month like a full-on slate. Yeah, yeah. But they hadn't done it. What did that look like? So it was so. The thought was this is going to be a journey through the African and African American diaspora through sound. So that's like everything from making like this is James Brown play the like saluting the greats to like spiritual playlists to jazz to like so just saluting artists to the next year where we did like cruise. So it's like this is bad boy or this is like dipset or this you know what I mean? This is native tongue. So like so just really like really like encapsulating like the journey of like the black this, man. I've seen other platforms follow suit. To them, and I, I would say yeah. that I'm like, yo, something about the way you guys, and I, I was thinking this like, um, the curation that's yeah, on point, and it's that's on point. It's, it's really just, dope to hear y'all say that because that's one thing, like, like we pride ourselves in, like, having one the dopest, like, actual app, right? But then, for our standpoint, our side of the company, those of us in content and on the music team, is being best in class curators. And like top notch, on point. So all of our editors, like we, it's, we're real music people. Mm-hmm. We're like, you know, my job is shifted, but like to really get into the music and know the music. So when we like do like, so if y'all like want to know like Dilla, listen to this is Dilla. This, yeah. this is Jay. I personally curated that. And wow. the discovery this, yes. aspect so of it you, too. Exactly. So when you factor in the algorithms and the personalization, that's the stuff you can't mimic. So they'll see us doing something. Oh, well, okay, they got this playlist, and then they'll like have a name similar to it and try yeah. to use a similar color palette. Okay, cool. But the work I do with cultural partnerships, mm-hmm. you can't mimic relationships that I have with HBO. Mm-hmm. You can't go mimic that. You can't go mimic the insecure official Spotify playlist. Because wow. Isra ain't tweeting yours out. I love that playlist. They got that one song. But that's and that that was one of the first things I did in terms of partnerships, because it was about solving a problem that people didn't know they had. I thought that was so smart. Thank you, man. Like a problem people didn't know they have is when watching Insecure is you got to sit there and Shazam or just ask like what song is what song is that? Because the music is popping on Insecure. So like things like Insecure and having that partnership. Yeah. You can't mimic that. You know what I mean? You can't just bite that because that's their that's their IP. Another genius thing because it's just a the. Insecure around that time when it dropped was a movement. That's right. And you tied it to a movement. That's right. That was so rooted in culture, That's black Twitter. Right. That's exactly right. So the only thing Issa Rae tweets out after episodes is to hear the music from this episode, listen to the Spotify original playlist. That's updated the second the episode ends because we get all the songs ahead of time. And boom, you get the songs right there. All in order, all in the order. So if you pull up the Insecure playlist now, if you start at the bottom, that's the first song, Kendrick Lamar's All Right, that, that you heard in Insecure. So it's a running log of all the music in Insecure. You start at the bottom and go to the top or reverse order. It's the last song on the last episode all the way on down. Mm-hmm. And that's a partnership that we continue. But now we've done it with Game of Thrones. and Man, I'll probably edit this out. Would yeah. you do it with like Atlanta, like an FX? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, so we have it like across. Like now, nah, it's too many Probably TV shows for me. Yeah, 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 too too many TV shows and films that for us to name. But we invented the um, the official motion picture playlist. Like we invented that. So a lot of a lot of movies aren't even doing official soundtrack releases. We're doing an official motion picture playlist with us. So inspired wow. by songs and all of that with commentary. 
from either the actors or the filmmakers in the playlist to give you context to what you're hearing. Like around us, we had you know we had Winston Duke take over our Black Boy Joy playlist, so he's just taking it over as him. You know what I mean? So it's playlist takeovers. Like for example, one of my favorite things we did is I had Miles Morales take over our team our team party playlist. So we had the voice actor forgetting the brother's name right now. They had him give us liners as Miles Morales. Curating the playlist. That's from the uh, Spider-Man. Yeah, that was from uh, Into, the Into the Spider-Verse. Spider-verse so that's what we had at that time. So that like that playlist did numbers it had never done. And it's a very, very popular playlist. Yeah. But just innovative things like that that are in step with the culture. Mm-hmm. And when I say culture, I know a lot of times it's like synonymous with like black culture. But I'm talking about culture at large, pop culture. Yeah, yeah. So that includes Asian Pacific American Heritage Month and Women's History Month. And, mm-hmm. and what we do with Latinx and... Across the board, so that's what we do. So we're broken down by like Broadway, TV, and film, um, sports, everywhere the culture connects. Like we connect at large, and music plays a part in it, which it exists in all of these things. Mm-hmm. That's where my work comes in, and then how everything comes back together. Like I ended up getting asked to host like podcasts for yeah. Spotify, so I host a few podcasts right now. Thank you, man. And I got two new ones coming out this year. Like so, I'm officially in-house talent for Spotify now along with being a head of cultural partnerships and I'm also be green lighting like just different like talent and things coming in so it's just you never know what could happen man how all these things tie together because a lot of that experience that I got on VH1 Mm -hmm. being in front of that camera learning how to talk in sound bites Mm -hmm. I'm using that now like we're hosting being you know comfortable in front of a mic being comfortable in front of an audience so I host most of our like company town halls and, and monthly all hands, I do it for the music team. I ho- I'm the MC of everyone. Like, I'm like in front of everybody, getting everybody hyping into it. And like, so I big conferences around the world. That's a part of my job is to go and be like the face of these events and things. So it's just crazy how all of that, from the time I was three, plays out to now, being here with y'all brothers now. And then, you know, second up with all of this, like I'm a deacon at my church. But that all just, it all happened the way it was supposed to. Absolutely. And I, and I really believe that everywhere you are, everywhere we are, is to be a light for God. And we're all strategically placed by God to be in those spaces to represent God in your own authentic way. And as long as you do that, as long as I do that, God is going to place me where I need to be. So me going up and me being promoted and, and me moving in these spaces, like Spotify was my dream company. Like, Making it there in my office now. We have four World Trade Center on the same site that I saw smoking years prior, and I can see my old apartment building in Jersey City from from my window. How crazy is that? Tell me this ain't ordained by God. Tell me, I'm telling you, God's plan ain't gonna be stopped. And it's more for all of us to do, much more for me to do. But I'm just, I feel so blessed, man. Like I love what I do. The fact that, like. I created my job, like I wrote my own job description, and that to promote me, they added to it. Yeah, you should be in-house talent. You all, you do this stuff anyway. We should make that official. How much would you say uh, we should pay you for that? <laughs> well, well, I'm glad you asked. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, and the last thing, you know, like career journey is like now I'm also advising brands. Brands are hitting me up, so I'm on this. Um, I advise. American Express on their music initiative. So it's called the Soundboard. Wow. 
So, you know, me and, and a few other people on the soundboard advising on their music initiatives. And Burberry just formed a cultural advisory council. So I'm one of the five people globally that advises Burberry on culture. You know, it's DNI related, but also like just where they should be in the culture. Like the fact that like I get to do this for a living and that Spotify is also supportive of it because they get it and get me in the work that I'm doing. It's the first time I ever worked at a place where I actually felt truly valued wow. that they got me. You know what I mean? And that's just the truth. Like, so it's just like, it's just really dope, man. And then like, this isn't a paid thing, but you know, I'm at the Kennedy Center and I'm a founding member of the Hip Hop Culture Council. So it's like wow. all these legends, man. And then me, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, he's large professor and it's common. Man. Yo, respect. I really appreciate that, man. So it's our responsibility to bring Hip Hop Center programming to our nation's performing arts center. You know, because hip hop is an American art form. It's global. But that's a wholly American original art form. Yeah. And that needs to be saluted at our nation's performing arts center. So when Dave Chappelle gets saluted for the Mark Twain, yep. you know, you know, prize for humor, and I get to be there and be in the booth next to him, and I'm in the booth with Five Five Freddy and MC Light and Beverly Bond. I'm like, oh, wow. bro, you know what I mean? It, like, it's crazy to me. So I, so I, that's the that's that part where I'm able to, able to remove myself from it a bit. And just like be in the moment and be excited like that. Cause I, so I'm not jaded about it. Like whatever happened, like negative or positive, it's all meant to be because God's plan won't be stopped. So it's just more that's going to come, man. And I'm going to keep shining God's light because I know that's what I'm called here to do. And I'm going to just keep being positive, but keep creating and keep doing stuff that's out of the box. Like, you know, that's for the culture. Again, for me, culture at large, but I'm always represent for my people, though, in an authentic way, always. Man. 100%. Yes. Thank y'all for having me. Yo, we, we I had to ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask one question. Yo, I had a whole question we do got to ask you before you get out of here. And we ask all our guests this. What? I can honestly say I want to be great. And I, you know, like my biggest fear, and, and I, I don't think I have a lot of them, but my biggest fear is not living up to my potential. And not thinking like what I've done already is it. So like I'm like, yeah, that was dope, but it's more for me to do. And not on some like being like in a state of discontentment, because I'm very content and excited about what's going on right now, because I do believe you need to live in the moment because that's all we got is right now. So you gotta be in the moment, but at the same time, like I know it's more for me to do. You know, and I know God called me to be in New York for a reason and to be a blessing to people, man. For example, like a coworker, a former coworker, this guy hasn't worked at Spotify in a year. He hit me up, texted me maybe two, three weeks ago over the holidays. It was like, man, I just feel like I need to get closer to God in 2020. Can I come to church with you? Wow. Like, yeah, and he came on Sunday. And like stuff like that happens all the time. Like you see me and you feel like, like having a relationship with God is cool. Like that to me is winning. And if whatever space I'm in, if people see that, just in how I'm, you know, it may not even be me directly talking about God, but if you sense that for me, you feel comfortable enough to come to me to help be a conduit to that, then, then I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And I know I'm in my purpose and I'm, I know I'm walking in like God's will for my life. So I'm like, that keeps me driven, but I just get such a sense of peace from that and gratification. And I can see the joy in that every single day. So I just try to do, like, and be good to people. Like, I, I try to be good to everybody. 
at all times. I try to speak to everybody, the, the people who serve the food, the security people, they're usually black. People who clean in the bathrooms, they're usually black. Those are our cousins, our uncles. I told y'all my pops met my mom doing his garbage route. You know what I mean? So I'm not above any of this. My first job was at McDonald's. I cut yards. You know what I'm saying? Like, respect to everybody who works. You know what I mean? So, but in my work, if I'm blessed enough to have a job that I enjoy, because that's not in the Bible anyway, that you can, that getting a cool job ain't a promise of God. But to have to do something cool that I enjoy that a lot of times doesn't feel like work. Most times doesn't feel like work. And actually feels like me. So plus, I'm at Spotify, the number one audio company in the world, and I made my job up. What? That doesn't happen. And they're like, no, we need you. Like, that's that's powerful, man. That's powerful. So I'm just blessed, man. So that keeps me driven. It's thinking back on that, thinking back to when I was three years old, when wow. I was in high school. Sometimes I think to myself, like, would 18-year-old Zay think this is dope? And I'm like, hell yeah. But 15-year-old Zay, 13-year-old, I'm like, hell yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? 25-year-old, you know what I mean? Then I do that. And I'm like, yeah. Wow. So, it's, so it's, it's just really dope, man. And I'm just, I'm just at peace. I'm happy. I'm excited every single day to wake up. And I'm in New York, man, and I'm thriving. And this is home. Hmm. You know what I mean? Brooklyn is my home. Clinton Hill, Fort Greene, what up? Bed-Stuy, what up? This is home. Yes, you know what I mean? Yes. And it's just, I just love it, man. And I'm just thankful. And shout out to my hometown, Daytona Beach fam, you, all of that. But all of that made me who I am. And I was made and I was molded in that way to cut through and be different and, and to make a difference. But all for the purposes of serving God in a, in a really authentic way. And that's, that's, that's why I'm here. And I'm not going to stop until it's over. Incredible. You know we gonna hit you up in a few months for the part two. Let's do it. We gotta, we gotta, cause this is more story. Yo, great story. But I want to get into the technical knowledge of yeah, like the we, yeah, and all that cool yeah. Stuff, it's a lot of, it's a lot of like yeah. stuff that's out in the no, press. Honestly, my, my spirit is filled, bro. Yo, yeah. God bless y'all, man. Like for respect real. for real, man. Thank y'all yeah, for having you. Thank y'all, man. Oh, I will man. be back for sure. So I'll be so y'all listen up. We gonna, I'm gonna be back in a few months. When the weather breaks a little bit. Oh, yes. You know what I mean? Go, with, the, go back. with the Mecca. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm trying to put it with the Mecca. Still I'm come, I'll come through with the Mecca. Yo. Oh, man. Yo, respect, Classy, man. God bless y'all. Oh, Happy man, New Year, sure. man. I'm excited to be back. Yes, sir. Man. Stay driven. God bless, yo. Yep. That's, they that's, said it. that's how we end the podcast. <laughs> you know I mean? Everyone, like we always say this time. Stay driven, y'all. Stay driven, y'all. Peace.